Well, as we get ready as individuals, as families to celebrate the birth of Christ, we start a new series. And together over the next few weeks, we're going to explore what I believe to be God's invitation for us to recapture a heart of wonder. You know, I think every one of us were born as children with just a wide-eyed awe and wonder of the world where everything is new, everything is mysterious, everything is beautiful. But somewhere along the way, maybe it's because of the responsibilities we have, maybe it's because of the challenges and difficulties and painful aspects of life. Maybe it's because of of dreams that don't come true or maybe it's because of broken relationships or whatever. Maybe it's a combination of all the things. But somewhere along the way, we've taught ourselves that growing up means losing that wonder of life. And what I wanna invite us into over these next few weeks is to recapture a sense of wonder at life at God's invitation to join with him, the hope that we have in heaven and this gift that we have in Jesus. So that we can start on the same page in the same place. I just wanna, let's look at a definition of wonder. Wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. As I think about the invitation that we have to be in connection with God, I think about that definition. That every moment we experience God, regardless of how he's revealed himself to us in the past, that that every single time we experience a, a revelation of God or an experience of God himself, we should be surprised by the unbelievable beauty, the unexpectedness, the, the way that it cannot be explained. And I wonder if our lives were to recapture that sense of wonder, how might not only our lives be changed, but how might the world around us be changed? I mean, what would it look like for us to recapture the wonder of a child in our relationship with God so much so that it, it makes its way out into every relationship that we have? I think about when, when I was a kid growing up, I know we all have our different uh, Christmas rituals and things that we do. Well, uh, one of the towns that we lived in, one of the things that we would do is we would go downtown and there was a department store downtown that had one of those glass front displays. You remember those? And in this particular department store, every Christmas, they would set up a Christmas village with a little train and, and the snow and the lights and the trees and all the things. And we would go downtown and we would look into this glass display. And I can remember as a child putting my face up against that glass display and looking at the village with the lights and all the things and just being filled with a sense of just wonder. Not just in that display, but for me, looking at that little village, I had a sense that I was a part of something bigger than me, that somehow, some way, that that display was representing all the world where people were going about their lives and, and doing their things and, and, and in some ways acknowledging one another, aware of one another, in some ways they weren't and, and they were all living life together. And I just began to think about every Christmas, how big and beautiful the world could be. But somewhere I realized I've lost that sense of wonder. And like you, I wonder what it would mean for us to recapture that. And I think that's what Christmas does, is it invites us into back into the sense of wonder. But what I want us to have is not a sense of wonder of the lights and the trees and the decorations and the gifts and the parades and all those things, 
But what would it look like for us to recapture a sense of wonder with God? And particularly for today, what would it look like for us to recapture a sense of wonder with life itself? So we're going to be in two places in Scripture today, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump ahead to John chapter 1 as we look at the wonder of life. So let's start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And we jump ahead. Chapter 2, verse, or keep going, sorry, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then verse 4 of chapter 2. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what I want us to see right here at the beginning of God's story as he's bringing everything together is that there is a sense of beauty, of majesty, of mystery, in a way, a sense of surprise at suddenly God bringing life into existence. And what I want us to see is that everything that is created is pointing us to our, what, our creator. All right, so here's the first thing that I want us to notice, is that life is a wonder in the sense that we are made to reflect God and connect with God. That we, in our very life, are reflecting our creator and God gives us an invitation to connect with our creator. I mean, just start with the universe itself. The entire universe is a reflection of God. Scripture tells us that the heavens are proclaiming the glory of God. That everything that is, it exists because it has a creator that's loving and powerful and intelligent who brought it into being. And I think about some of the elements of the universe. I think about how the universe is so expansive that we could never possibly hope to explore the bounds of it. I think about the beauty and majesty of the universe and the mystery of it. I think about in the same breath, even with the mystery of it, it is ordered and logical. And do you ever think about the reason that we can have some of the disciplines that we have like mathematics or science or the scientific method that we could explore this world that we live in is because the world follows suit with certain rules of, of physics and, and nature and it has an order to it. I think about what scientists call in, in the universe the trinity of trinities. 
And, and scientists have this one predicament. They, they can't quite explain it. Now, I think, though, if I were to go ask our children's ministry, they would immediately be able to explain it, of why the universe exists in threes. And not just in threes, but exists in threes of threes. And I think about, we know that, that the whole universe is made up of time and space and matter. Three things, right? Well, we could break those down into three. Time itself is past, present, and future. Or, or space is height and width and depth. Or matter is solid, liquid, and gas. And then you could break those down into the three parts of elements and, or, you know, the atom and all these different things. And there's this mysterious wonder to it of how it reflects our God, who is what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the whole universe is a reflection of God. But at the culmination, at the height, at the, the very top, after God had created for six days, on the sixth day, he brought man. He, he formed him from the dust of the earth and he breathed into him what? Life. He made him a living being and he walked with him and he talked with him and he related to him and he gave him uh, Eve to be in relationship. And we're this beautiful picture of God and, and the scripture says we are imagers of God, meaning we are literally reflecting the image of God into his creation. And you think about all the different ways that we do that. And I want you to just play along with me for a minute. Think about how if you, if you never knew it existed before and you were just seeing it for the first time, how peculiar is the human life? I mean, how peculiar is the human body? That we have hair where we have hair and we have, you know, organs where we have organs and we move the way we move. And, and how God has perfectly orchestrated us to live in this great big world with the, the air that we need to breathe and the food that we need to eat and the right amount of light and the right amount of darkness and the right amount of gravity. And this very peculiar and strange world and lives that we have. And I think about the human life. How we, many of us, at least we hope to be self-aware. Right? That's strange. That we think about how we think. And we have feelings about how we feel. And we think about how we relate to others and how others relate to us. And how we have a spirit and we long for something bigger than us. And, and we have this ability to, to connect with a God who most of the time we can't see. I mean, that is strange and peculiar, but also wonderful and beautiful. And it should leave us with a sense of surprise and wonder that we reflect our God. But it's not just that, but we're also made to join with God. It tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that God called us together. He blessed us and then he called us to rule over the earth. To subdue it, to bring dominion. In other words, to join with God in bringing order. To, to join with God and moving things toward what God has planned for them. In other words, you and I have in our being the ability to leave our mark on this world. So when you go to school tomorrow, God's calling you to make a mark on the world for God's kingdom. When you go to work tomorrow, God's calling you to leave a mark on this world for his kingdom. When you go home or to your neighborhood or the ball field or to the dance studio or the band hall or wherever God leads you, God has created you to leave a mark on this world for his kingdom. 
And he does it in a lot of different ways. We have relationships with each other, but think about the other beautiful, awe-inspiring, wonder-filled parts of our lives that we can create things. We can make music and art and we can write stories and, and we can have imaginations and, and, and create things and we can advance the world with inventions or improvements to join with God and making our mark on the world. But it's not for us, it's for God's glory. And then others would praise him and see him. We get to join with God. That is amazing. Or I think about this, that we are, number three, we're made to be blessed by God. Twice in this story, we're told that God brings his blessing upon his creation and upon his people. I mean, think about the wonderful ways that God blesses us, that we can know him, be known by him, that we could relate to him. Play along with me one more time. Think about this. Why would God give us the five senses that we have? Sight, hearing, smelling, taste, and touch. I mean, why not just make us functional beings? And when I think about the wonder of those things that, that start with our sight, did you know that scientists estimate that we see somewhere between 1 million and 10 million different colors? So think about the last time you saw a sun rise, or, or in my case, a sunset. <laughs> think of the last time you saw a rainbow. Think about the, the gift that you give to be able to look and see the color of your loved one's eyes. Or the green of a meadow or the white of a snowy field. Or the lights on a Christmas tree. Why would God give us that? Other than to be this beautiful blessing. Or think about our sense of hearing. And we're told that, that humans, if you're not... Uh, hearing impaired, you can hear somewhere between 20 and 20,000 hertz. All the different tones and melodies. I think about the last time that, that I listened to a concert or this morning to, to hear the songs of worship or to hear the voice of your child. Why would God give us that other than to be this beautiful blessing? I think about smell. For the longest time, scientists thought that we smelled about 10,000 different smells, but the latest studies show that it's really more something like one trillion different scents that we can smell. It's interesting to me that, that smell is most closely tied to memory. You can smell the, the tasty cinnamon rolls in, in the oven or a flower or uh, that scent of your loved one that maybe other people can't pick up on, but you can. I think about the bond between a mother and her baby and how so much of that has to do with smell. This beautiful gift that God has given us. Or, or what about taste? We have somewhere around 10,000 taste buds that replace themselves every two weeks. And they all come together to, to find this beautiful mixture of five different tastes that we can have. Uh, sour, bitter, sweet, savory and salty and they can combine themselves in a variety of different ways why not just give us food to keep us functionally alive and healthy why make it taste so many different ways or finally i think about touch it's amazing to me uh, that with the sense of touch 
eyes closed, no other senses aware, but just with your sense of touch, you can tell the difference between danger, protection, encouragement, affection, love. Did you know that you have an entire section of your brain that is dedicated just to the ability to discern emotion with just your touch? It's an amazingly beautiful gift that God has given us that should lead us to wonder. And all of this is not just for the sake of itself, but it's to draw us into something, right? That we know that we have these beautiful gifts that should point us to a giver. And so ultimately what we know is that we are made to know God. He wants us to know him and walk with him and listen to him and, and, and be in relationship with him. That should lead us to wonder that the God of the universe, who, by the way, does not need you or me or anything he created out of his amazing love, created us so that we can know him. Now think about in Genesis 1 and 2, God takes Adam and Eve, he puts them in this garden, and he blesses them with food to eat. That's, it's beautiful. It tastes good. It's pleasing to the eye. And he puts him in the garden and he says, you can have anything that you want to have. Except for this one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in fact, the text tell, highlights two trees for us. One that we are to assume is for us. And one that God puts a boundary around. That he gives us freely to partake of the tree of life. But he says, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God never intended for us to know good and evil. He never intended us to know evil, but he also never intended us for know what is good. He only intended us for to us to know him. To find our life in him. To follow and listen to him. To walk with him. And whatever God would give would be the very thing that we needed. But the moment that we partook of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has to bring us out of the garden because there is the tree of life. And because we're not meant to know the difference between good and evil, we did not want us to live eternally in that state. And so he removed us from that tree of life. But only so that later down the road after redemption, after res restoration, after new life. This is why it's so important the Bible says you have to be born again. As you step into the new life, then we can have that gift of life eternal again. Drawing us in to know him, to know the, the God who loves us, the God who gives. So I think about in the New Testament, there's one passage that really reflects Genesis 1 and 2 and talks about the beginning, and talks about this gift giver, and it's John chapter 1. And I want us to take a look for a second at the first five verses, and see this gift that God gives. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was, say it with me, life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, here's what I, I don't want us to miss this. When Adam and Eve turned away from God, 
Or let's just take them out of the picture. When you and I turned away from God, because every single one of us have done things to reject God, to doubt God, to hurt ourselves and others, sometimes on, by accident, sometimes on purpose, but we have all turned away from God to pursue our own way. The very moment that we turned away from God, God had every right to be done with us. He had every right to take his creation and say, I need to start over. He had every right to send us away. He had every right to banish our existence. But instead of doing that, what God had every right to do, to throw us away, to, to make us go away, to, to cease our existence, instead, he doubled down on his creation. And he stepped into it to affirm it and restore it and redeem it. If you're taking notes, we can say it this way. In the birth of Jesus, God affirms, redeems, and preserves the wonder and gift of life itself. Instead of starting over, instead of, instead of making it go away or ceasing existence, he affirmed it. And then he preserved the life and he redeemed that life that we could come back to him in wonder. He's a good gift giver. And I want us to see as we close out just a couple of things that God gives that would draw us into him with wonder and excitement and, and see the beauty and the, the inexplicable nature of it. Here's the first thing is that God gives life. Every breath, every heartbeat, every moment that we exist, listen, the good and the bad. All the aspects of life, because God is redeeming it, are a gift. And not only this life, but because of Jesus, we have eternal life. And we don't just have to exist. We don't just have to get to the end of the road. We don't just have to press on. But we have Jesus living in us. If we confess by faith that Jesus is Lord, he's living in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have overcome. And we can begin to live eternal life right now. That is a gift of God. And we have that because of the second gift, and that's that God gives himself. That Jesus, who is the word of God, the, the logos, it says, the one who brought everything into being, stepped into his creation. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message version of the Bible. He says that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He stepped into that which he created. Because I want you to understand, so much of the time we think that we have to find God. You don't have to find God. He's already found you. He came to you. That is the miracle of the birth of Christ. He wasn't waiting on you to figure it out. He stepped into our world that we could know him. All he's asking is that we open our eyes and our hearts to see that he's already here. Not one of us who follow Jesus, not single one of us who follow Jesus made the first move. God moved toward you. And he wants us to see where he's already at. He's already at work in our life. And he wants us to surrender to his presence. So he gave him, he gives us life, he gives us himself, he, God gives us truth. We're going to dive into this more next week as we talk about the wise men, but we're going to see how the wise men, the very reason that they came to explore this king of kings was because they were looking at God's truth. And God has given us that same truth. 
this amazing book written over 1,500 years, 66 different books, dozens of authors telling one story of our Savior, our Redeemer, who is also our Creator. Standing up to the, the test of history and scrutiny time and time again. This wonderful story of God unfolding in the life of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit and by His written word. Do we ever stop to have wonder that God loved us so much that he didn't just send his son, but he made sure that we heard about it. The gift of his truth. And then finally, God gives hope. Anybody like Christmas movies? Anybody, anybody already started watching your Christmas movies? I, I have two. One of my favorites, uh, it's a standard, is Home Alone. Anybody a Home Alone fan? Yeah. There's this one part in Home Alone where the mom who's trying to get home to her son, she's kind of at the end of her rope. She's totally exhausted. She's been up for several days. She's, she's frustrated. She's angry. She's, she's scared. And she's standing at the ticket booth at the airport. It's my favorite line of the whole movie. And she doesn't know what's about to happen next. And she, she's angry with the, the teller there, the person giving the tickets. And she says, it's Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. I'm not sure she was feeling it at that moment. But, but I say all the time, as, as Jesus followers, this should be the one thing that sets us apart from all others, is we should have a relentless grip on hope. That we and we alone can be the ones to claim to live in creation, but the events of creation do not define our experience of it. What defines our experience of creation? our creator because he's living in us he has a hope for us he's redeemed us he's made promises to us that we have eternal life that the whole world will be restored when Jesus comes again and when we have faith in Christ we will be with him Revelation 19 through 21 describes this and it says there'll be no more tears no more pain no more heartache or sickness, but fully redeemed because God, he doubled down to affirm and preserve and redeem the wonder of life. And I hope and I pray that, that our experience of God is that even when we don't know what's coming and we're hurting and we're struggling and things are not going as we would have them be, we would still have joy because we know that the future is in the hands of God, which means it will be good. That's the kind of maturity I want us to have. But to get there, I think maybe we have to step back and, and see this whole thing through the eyes of a child. Like a little kid pressed against that display window, seeing the great big wide world that God's invited us into looking at the gift he's given and being surprised by the beauty, undescribable, inexplicable beauty of what God gives. If you'll stand, I'm gonna pray for you and pray for me. As we do each week, these prayer rails are available to you. If you wanna come and pray about anything in your life, but particularly if you've lost that wonder and you say, Lord, I just want to come back 
to the wonder of who you are and respond to you. And I will tell you, really, there's only one response fitting. When we come to that place of the wonder of God, there's only one response that makes any sense, and that's to worship, to praise Him. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship Him. We're going to pray and meet with Him. And may the Holy Spirit minister to you uh, as we worship Him together. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the wonder of life. We thank you for the gift that you give, that you sent Jesus to affirm it, to preserve it, to redeem it. You stepped into our world. Forgive us when we lose sight of the majesty of the very heartbeat, the very breath we have. Forgive us when we lose sight of the blessings you've given us. Move our hearts, Lord, first to confession and repentance, but then to worship and praise. Because you and you alone are worthy of it, Lord. Thank you for your love and your grace, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.